We'd like to thank Doug Batchelor and Amazing Facts for sponsoring this episode of Why They Did That. In fact, they want to go one step further and give all of our listeners a free copy of Pastor Doug's book, The Sign of Jonah. All you have to do to get the book is text the word Jonah to 40544 and you'll instantly be able to download it for free. The book has been such a blessing to so many and we're sure it will be for you too. Hey everyone, welcome to season two of Why They Did That. I'm your host, Dean Cullinane. And I can't tell you just how excited I am that you're all going to finally be able to hear and see what we've been up to since we last released an episode in February 2019. We have 12 episodes lined up for you this season with some brand new guests and some returning ones too. They'll be coming out every second Friday just like last time, except we'll also be releasing the video of that podcast on our new YouTube channel. So make sure to go and visit our YouTube channel, subscribe, and turn on the little bell for an instant notification of whenever we release new content. Now, here comes the show. If you're in a river that is floating towards a fatal waterfall, and you're going with the river, it's going to feel pretty peaceful. Mm. If you swim against the current, you're going to feel resistance. Mm. And so as soon as uh, a person surrenders to the uh, plan of the devil, it, it can be easy sailing. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Our guest on the show today is one of the most famous evangelists in the world. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Doug Batchelor. He's the president of Amazing Facts an online ministry that has taken him literally all over the entire world sharing the good news about Jesus. But it wasn't always like that for Doug. The son of an aviation tycoon, Doug could have had whatever he wanted. But at the age of 15, he ran away from home. He then got involved in drugs, in alcohol, and even spent time in jail. And although his father was rather affluent, owning a yacht, a jet, a Rolls Royce, everything you could possibly want, Doug actually found himself living in a cave, scavenging for food in garbage bins, until one day he came across a dusty old Bible that someone left in his cave, and his life was literally never the same. And so it makes a lot of sense that today we dive into the story of the runaway prophet, Jonah. Often relegated to a cartoonized storybook or spoke of as some myth or fable, the story of Jonah is one that Jesus himself referenced. It happened. 
Now, I'm sure that there's many a reason why people doubt the story, getting swallowed by a giant fish being the main one. But the story's voice lies not so much in how to navigate the intestinal tract of a whale, but rather the reality that sometimes it seems like God just doesn't make sense. That sometimes, sometimes we just want to run away. The interesting thing about Jonah, God is directing him to arise and go mm -hmm. you know, northeast, and instead he goes west. Yeah, it's uh, it's like the prodigal son who went into a far country. He's mm -hmm. trying to go mm -hmm. as far away from where God wants him to be, thinking maybe as as he gets more distance, that voice is going to grow quieter, and yep. and uh, God will pick someone else in the meantime. It's funny because shortly after I became a Christian, uh, I'm the only Christian in my my family. I felt very convicted to try and reach my mom and my stepdad. And those efforts were, you know, beaten back to say the least. And so for me, even though, even though I had felt that conviction and I knew, I knew that God wanted to use me to reach them, because I experienced pushback and mocking and all of these kind of things, I took it upon myself to willingly separate myself from them mm -hmm. and to just be like, well, and this wasn't the initial thought. And that's why I feel like I can, I can relate to Jonah a little bit more than I would have first imagined. The initial thought wasn't, I don't want to reach you. The initial thought wasn't, I don't want God to save you. It kind of just became, well, you're not interested. So therefore, I'm not interested. And the more I separated myself from them, the more I had thoughts that when I analyzed them, I'm like, this is not how a Christian should really be thinking. Because eventually you get to the point where you're looking at the things that they do and the, the way that they live and all of these things. And honestly, for me, it got to the point where I had become so frustrated and so, I guess you could say disgusted, even though I was, I was recently a part of that same mm -hmm. lifestyle, that part of me didn't want them to be saved. Like mm. I'm being completely transparent. And it took my sister-in-law coming to me one evening and just calling me out on it and saying, I don't feel like you want them to know God in the way that you, the way that you treat them, the way that you speak about them. And I was like, you're right. I've, I've, I've seen this group of people as being unworthy. And I had to remind myself, but God was willing to save you. Yeah, and it's, uh, there's a number of examples in the Bible where we see that there are individuals that we would normally relegate to hopeless. Mm. And so we, we don't make the effort. Uh, just you think about this demoniac that Jesus crosses an ocean. He reaches one of the most hopeless people mm -hmm. in the Bible. Uh, and the disciples didn't want to witness to him. Yeah. They probably ran. Uh, so Jonah probably thought, you know, not the Ninevites. Mm. And uh, Jesus said in the judgment, the people of Nineveh are going to rise up against the people of Christ's day because they at least listened and repented at the preaching yeah. of Jonah. And Jesus said, a greater than Jonah is here now. So we, we've got to be careful not to write anybody off. The, there's no limit to what God can do. Right. And it's, it's, it's important, I think, when we're engaging in any activity whereby we're interacting with people that aren't in the faith to not necessarily treat them like, hey, we know you're not in the faith. You know, not to look at them as though oh, you're one of the Ninevites, you know. Yes, okay, Gentiles, fair enough, but we were all Gentiles. 
you know, and the grace of God was able to to reach us, to save us, to bring us into the fold. And it yeah, it just it just struck me that the mentality of the Christian views the Ninevites not as the forsaken ones, but the ones that need to be reached the most. That's the crossroad where you and I come face to face with Jonah. What do you do when God asks you to do something that, quite frankly, you'd rather not? Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be saved, but God did. Their respective wills were out of harmony with one another. And that's a situation that I find myself in all too often. And so the question we have to ask is simple. Will we allow God to direct our paths or will we run the other way? Does Jesus tell us to go? You know, the, the gospels end by Christ mm -hmm. commanding uh, us to go yeah. and to tell the world. And sometimes we think, well, someone will do that. That's not for me. Mm. Um, you know, God wants us in our lives and, and, um, in every opportunity he gives us to, to share who he is. So yeah, he may have also had a misinterpretation uh, of who God was. And I think it, it also, it tells us something about even prophets can have a flawed faith. Mm. Why would Jonah be afraid to go where God told him to go? Mm. I mean, doesn't God enable, with every command is the power to obey. Right. With every command, God will support us. And even if we perish in the process, if God says, go, mm -hmm. you know, Stephen preached his dying sermon. Yeah. And, um, but he still preached it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, God wants us to have that courage, even in the face of great risk. I remember I was, um, I was doing some street witnessing in London. I think it was this, it's this really nice street. It's called Carnaby Street. You know, it's got all of these nice mm -hmm. stores that you could never really afford anything from. And, Orange. Yeah, yeah, and so I'm, I'm I'm walking down there with some friends, and we're interviewing people and speaking to them and trying to share books and so on. And that's always you're always going to get in trouble if you do that in a place like London. But I came across this man. He was, I don't want to say he was following us, but every time I looked back, even though we were moving, he was at exactly the same distance. Mm -hmm. And so eventually, I just went back and spoke to him, and he he looked uh, he looked very distinct. You know, he had, um, he was wearing like a sleeveless biker jacket, tattoos everywhere. By everywhere, I mean everywhere. Mm -hmm. Piercings in places that I didn't even know there were places. Mm -hmm. And I'd spoke to him and tried to, you know, speak to him about my faith and see where he was. And we entered into a conversation for maybe about 20 minutes on this street. And I said to him, God can save you. Like, I don't know what you've done but God can save you. And he opened up to me how he was just released from prison because he had murdered someone when he was like 17 years old. Mm. And he was in his 40s now, I would, I would have said. And he was like, so you think God can save me now? And I was like, yeah, of course, absolutely. And he was like, well, if God can save me as a murderer, are you saying that God can save like people that have done mass murders? And I was like, yeah. He's like, so what about people that abuse their wives? What about pedophiles? What about mm -hmm. like the, the lowest of societies? Like, can God save them? I said, yeah, he can. And I'm, I'm getting really excited because I feel like I'm, I'm really getting through to him here. I was like, yeah, God can save them and them and them. And he was like, then I don't want to go to heaven. 
Oh, because those people will be there. Right. Because he's like, if the people like that are going to be there, then I don't want to go. Of course, if they're safe, they're not that way anymore. Right. And I was just like, I was, I was broken. I was like, I thought we were really making really, progress. Yeah, making making some headway here. And he was like, then I don't, I don't want to go if people, if those people, and I explained this to him. I was like, yeah, but they're going to be new. They're going to be new creatures. Their pasts aren't going to count. They're going to be people that have that have changed their lives and they love the Lord. And he was like, no, if that's what they've done then I don't want a part of it. And I just wonder if that same spirit was in Jonah. You know, like, I don't care if they repent and change. If God's going to save people like the Ninevites, then I don't really care what happens. Right. I'm trying to remind myself, Dean, you can't be like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't see people like that. They need the benefit of the doubt. They need the grace that you've you've received. Yeah, it's, I pray often that, that God will help me to love people more like he does. Mm. Because if we see the incredible value and love that God has for every soul, yeah. uh, it moves us to care more. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's all about. It's passion yeah. to save the lost. And the thing that gets me about this story is that Jonah actually thinks he can run from God. <laughs> you know that you can't escape. You know, though I go to the depths of hell, there you are. Yeah, that's Psalm 139, rather. You know, where shall I flee from your presence? It's crazy. You know, God is everywhere. Uh And uh, even in Jeremiah, he says, I am a God near at hand, not a God far off. Can Mm -hmm. anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him? But Jonah knows this. You would think. Yeah, I think he he does. (laughs) But he's still, it's like, it's like something's just not clicking. He's like, I don't want to do this. And so I'm going to run even though I know I can't get away. But the way that he explains it, you know, or the way that the story presents itself in the narrative is that Jonah, here we find in verse three of the chapter, says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So it seems like everything is working out in his favor here. Yeah, that it all looks the like are falling into place. Exactly. He's he may be trying to convince himself that oh, well, I've got providential openings here, and so this must be okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I heard one pastor say that it may have been a beautiful day, and uh, he gets down there and he thinks, well, look at that. There's a ship that's ready to depart. And mm-hmm. Maybe he's telling himself, well, if there's any room on that ship, I'll take it as a sign that God's good with me going. Right. And sure enough, there's room. He said, well, I don't know if I've got the fare. If I've got enough for the fare. And then, yes, lo and behold, he's got enough. And then he says, well, if the weather's good for sailing, then I'll take it as a sign. And so he's probably talking himself into believing that these providential happenings are somehow uh, God is giving him a pass Mm. on disobedience. Right. And I say this because I've met Christians before. Mm that start trying to convince themselves the word of the Lord doesn't really mean what it says. See, Jonah says the word of the Lord came to him mm. and he's trying to get away from the word of the Lord. You can't. Yeah. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will not pass away. I've met people that, for example, you know, a, a guy, he starts having an affair and he's uh, cheating on his wife and he and his girlfriend are both church members and they'll come and they'll see me and they'll say, Pastor, we just see so many providential openings that God is telling us that this is of Him. And we have such peace when we're together. And it's like they've convinced themselves that the word of the Lord doesn't really mean what it says. And mm. it's just shocking to me, but I wonder how often we do what Jonah does. And yeah. say, well, looky there, there's a ship. Oh, look, I've got enough money. And look, there's room on the boat. Mm. He says, oh, God is 
he's letting me off the hook. Hmm. So he's talking himself into thinking, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, we're reading something into the story that you can only speculate on, but he definitely does take advantage of those mm-hmm. uh, providences. Yeah, and I think this idea of putting what you see above what you know to be truth, I think is something that's gonna come up time and time again. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more we're going to see opportunities, what looks like God is leading a certain way, but if it's not according to the scriptures, that can't be his leading. Yeah, especially in the last days where Jesus said that uh, the deceptions of the enemy will be so effective that if it were possible, even the very elect would mm-hmm. be deceived, mm-hmm. which means that they may say, wow, uh, this you know false power, it seems like uh, they're quoting the Bible mm-hmm. and there, it seems like people are being healed and, and there may be all kinds of external signs and evidence, even fire coming down from heaven yeah. must be from God. Mm-hmm but it goes against the word of God, mm-hmm. which is the ultimate litmus test. And so we're gonna need to know in the last days how to say, well, it doesn't matter what the providence says or mm-hmm. these feelings that we may have, what does the word say? God told Jonah, look, I want you to go and preach to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Instead, he goes to Joppa and 800 years later, God comes to Peter in Joppa mm-hmm. and says, I want you to go talk to the Gentiles. And Peter doesn't run, he goes to talk to Cornelius. And so it's interesting that one prophet runs from preaching to the Gentiles and the other prophet says, surrenders and, and he says, you know, but they're unclean. Mm, yeah. You maybe had the same concern as Jonah, but he goes. Mm. And so uh, I just, that's to me, I think more than providence or more than coincidence, I should say. And even after Jonah uh, has a rough ride, uh, the word of the Lord doesn't change. Mm. So, um, Yeah, it's an amazing story. It's a true story. And it's a story of really the ultimate purpose of life. In fact, Christ says, the only time he says, no sign will be given, but the sign of Jonah. Jonah. And um, Jonah's resistance to go talk to the lost and the perishing, uh, it sometimes is an allegory, maybe not only for the Jewish nation, but for the church today. You know, we think we're rich and increased with goods and uh, don't realize that we're surrounded by people perishing. It makes me think of the the parable Jesus shares of the rich man and Lazarus. Mm. Everyone tries to make that parable, talk about the state of the dead. When Jesus gave it, I don't think it had anything to do with the state of the dead. Right. It had to do with this rich man, mm-hmm. who for them was the Jewish nation, feasting on the word, clothed in purple, while the Gentiles around his gate, meaning Lazarus, was starving for the crumbs that fell from their table. The, the food being the bread of life. Yeah. And lo and behold, in the judgment, the poor man, the Gentile, is in Abraham's bosom, the place of the Jewish reward. And the rich man, who represents the Jews, he's in the Gentile place of torment, mm-hmm. Hades. I mean, Jesus is using parabolic right. language here. And uh, same thing with Jonah. He's thinking, we're, we're the chosen people. I'm not going to those Ninevites. Um, but God is no respecter of persons. He loves everybody mm. and he would have all men to be saved. So uh, it, it also has a very powerful message about how God values every soul. And we yeah. can't be exclusive and say, well, we're church members. God said, many will come from the East and the West and sit down in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And some of the natural children mm. will be in outer darkness because they didn't care. Jonah's story is all too relatable. 
the fact is God can ask us to do some pretty difficult things, but it really makes no sense to try and run. When we come back, we'll see that no man is an island. When you and I choose to run from God, we invariably drag others into the crossfire. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. big fan of Kickstarter, and evidently so are some of you. I remember the day that I was scrolling through the site and I came across a product that just blew me away. Types and Symbols, a Christian design company, put together probably the most stunning set of books I have ever come across. They took a series known as The Conflict of the Ages, a set of Christian books that serve as a commentary on almost the entire Bible, and gave it the most beautiful, modern makeover it could have possibly been given. Everything from the stunning color palette to the simple, clutter-free reading experience is designed to perfection. They call it The Conflict Beautiful and it raised over $144,000 on Kickstarter within a month. So head over to typesandsymbols.store. We'll leave the link in the description. And catch this, you can get $20 off your purchase if you use the discount code WTDT. They're great books, and they'll make a really nice gift this holiday season. If Jonah were alive today, he'd probably be an Olympian. That's how much effort he puts into his running. God says go north, he's on the quickest route south. He eventually finds himself on a dock with a ship heading the complete opposite direction to the path that God has laid out before him. He boards and catch this, he does what you and I would do if we had just spent the entire day running. He goes to sleep. It it is uh, amazing that he he seems to have peace. That, (laughs) uh, you know, it it reminds us that there are many people that sleep on their way to judgment. Mm -hmm. You think about the story of Peter Mm -hmm. uh, when he's in prison. This is the night before he was to be executed. He was sleeping. Now, that to me is amazing. Uh I think Peter's sleeping because Christ told him you're not going to die by beheading, but you'll be crucified. Mm. But still, it it gives us a picture of people who are on the verge of judgment that are sleeping. A lot of people in the world are lost and they don't seem to care. Job talks about the wicked that seem to be rejoicing on their Mm. way to destruction. It's funny you mention that because I, I know numerous people that were once like strong in the faith. Something happens where they, they question that they end up deciding that it's not for them. And then almost all of them, when you speak to them say, so so, what's happening now? They're just like, oh, you know, it's funny because since since I left the Lord, I've just, well, since I, since I realized that none of this is real, I just have such peace. Mm-hmm. And they fall back on that feeling of peace as though it is like the defining characteristic of whether you're right in this situation. If you have peace, then surely you're right. If you're in a river that is floating towards a fatal waterfall, 
and you're going with the river, it's going to feel pretty peaceful. Mm. If you swim against the current, you're going to feel resistance. Mm. And so as soon as uh, a person surrenders to the uh, plan of the devil, it, it can be easy sailing in, until God intervenes, which he does here in the story of Jonah. Yeah. But um, it's a message for us that, you know, Christ said just before he comes, he tells a parable of the 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish, a hundred percent are sleeping. Mm. And so you can, the disciples, the critical moments in Jesus' life, Moses, Elijah, and God Almighty appear to them and they're sleeping. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the destiny of the world, the universe is weighed in the balance. And Christ says, pray with me. And they go to sleep. And Jonah, he's sleeping through a storm, mm. which means it was a really deep sleep. You know, they could have a hard time telling the difference between the crashing of the waves and the snoring of the prophet. Right, they could probably hear him from the top deck. <laughs> well, I think the captain went below deck because it's the same. They're throwing things overboard mm -hmm. to lighten the ship. Yeah. This also happens in Acts chapter uh, 28. Mm -hmm. And um, captain looking for things, he's, he thinks, oh man, I forgot all about that Hebrew mm -hmm. that got on board. How in the world can he be sleeping in this storm? Yeah. And uh, it, yeah, it's just a reminder that sometimes at the critical moments, we have to ask ourselves, am I awake? Mm. Am I listening to the Lord? But now there was a time when there was another storm and Jesus was on the boat and he was sleeping as well. So how does this differ from that instance? Well, you know, as we go on here, we're going to see there are quite a few parallels in the story of Jonah. And, mm -hmm. and in many ways, it seems like a paradox because right. Jonah's out of the will of God and Jesus was certainly in the will uh -huh. of God. But you can't escape the notice that you've got uh, two prophets asleep in the lowest part of the boat yep. in a storm. The disciples wake up Jesus and they say, Master, carest thou not that we are perishing? The captain wakes up Jonah and says, do you not care that we're about to perish? Mm. Arise and call upon your God. And so the language, mm -hmm. it's, it's really yeah. echoing the story of Jesus. And we find in this story, which is, I guess, different to the aspects of um, Jesus, is that on the upper deck, there's unbelievers. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in, I mean, Jesus does come to the disciples and say, why is it that you have no faith? Why are we so afraid? But Jonah, like you say, he's comfortable. You know, it's almost like either he doesn't know there's a storm, he has absolutely no idea, or he's so settled in running from God that it doesn't really matter because we don't see a great deal of urgency from him when he wakes up. Yeah, the captain's praying, the sailors are praying, and uh, they're willing to make any sacrifice to be saved. You notice they're going on this trip mm -hmm. um, for profit you know, ostensibly and right. getting paid and, mm -hmm. but they're throwing everything overboard. They're willing to make any sacrifice for life because what profit is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Mm. So you have to commend them in that their priorities are straight. They're calling on their gods. It starts out here. They're calling on their gods, plural. Mm -hmm. And they end up calling on Jehovah. Right. Um, and um, tossing everything overboard. And something else you see that you see at the cross is, is the cast lots. Mm. Yeah. And the lot falls on Jonah. They're trying to find, they, 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 you read the language and it says the storm, mighty storm, great tempest, mighty storm. It's, the, the storm is getting worse and mm -hmm. worse. And they finally say, this is not the season for a storm like that. Mm -hmm. This is not the place for a storm like that. This is a supernatural storm. The gods, they're thinking, 
must be angry with someone on the boat. Uh, who's the culprit? Yeah. I mean, how often have you been in a situation where someone says, look, someone here is causing this to happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, but they're actually right. Mm -hmm. uh, the spirit inspired them that it wasn't them. There was somebody on that boat, like an Aiken, that was causing problems for everybody else. And they cast the lot and the lot lands on Jonah. Yeah. It's funny. I wonder how many times when we're in difficult situations that sometimes we can't explain, we know that something supernatural is happening. It's easy sometimes just to fall back and say, well, I mean, you know, we're in a city full of wicked people. So what do you expect? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's terrible crimes that happen or there's mass shootings or all of these things that take place that are, you know, incredibly sad and unfortunate. And I think it's easy sometimes to just be like, well, we live in a world of sin or you know, there's so many vile people in the world, but really when we see the trouble that's befalling these mariners here, it's actually because of God's people. It's not because of the people in the world. That's right. You know, we've been put in the world as light and salt. And as we run from God and put our light under a bush, uh, it puts the eternal salvation of the lost mm -hmm. at peril. And, you know, we can even learn a few things from the sailors in that in any trial in life, when we're going through a storm, First, they did what they could practically. Mm -hmm. You know, if you got a problem, uh, you know, deal with it practically. Right. And then you pray and you do what you can spiritually. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray right away, but sure. you know, if, if you're a car that's got a flat tire, uh, don't just pray, pull off the road and then start praying, change the tire, pray for help, whatever. But uh, they were doing everything they could. Mm -hmm. uh, they were taking care of the spiritual side and the physical side. And I think God wants us I think I've read before that, um, uh, you know, victory comes by our doing everything that God has given us the ability to do humanly and then trust in divine power. Mm. So the sailors are doing that. Yeah. And they're to be commended, really, because mm -hmm. finally, when they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah, they say, well, now how are we supposed to deal with this? And mm -hmm. Jonah at this point has resigned himself. He, he knows the jig is up and that I'm responsible for this yeah. storm. He says, you got to toss me overboard. But these pagan sailors are so civilized, they say, we can't do that because we don't want innocent blood on our hands. That's again, another statement that comes from Pilate yep. at the cross. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be responsible for this innocent blood. Mm -hmm. So they row as hard as they can to try to do everything they can to save themselves. Again, Jesus in a storm. There's two stories of Jesus in a storm in a boat. In one story, the sailors are rowing to try to get to shore. That's when he's walking on water mm -hmm. and they're rowing. They're not getting there anywhere. They unsuccessfully try to do it by rowing. Yeah. So you see both stories are actually tied into mm -hmm. the experience of Jonah. Finally, they, um, Jonah says, look, you've you got to throw me overboard. And I'm wondering if Jonah's sure that his being in the water is their solution. Why doesn't he jump? Yeah. Somehow they must take responsibility. And it's the story of our salvation. Jonah's a type they have to sacrifice him. And uh, so they you know, got a hold of his arms and legs and counted three and made him walk the plank, you might say. Threw him overboard. Do you think that this is Jonah resigning to death? That he's just willing to die instead of follow God's following God's will? Or is this Jonah saying, I'm not gonna be able to escape God, so he's gonna get me one way or another? I think Jonah finally comes to the place of surrendering to God and realizing that 
others were going to perish because of his disobedience. And he's trying to limit the carnage mm. and say, look, this is my fault. You got to throw me. And he's also a prophet. God's speaking to him. I think he's convicted that uh, the only way they're going to have peace is when they sacrifice him, which is true of everybody in the world. The only way we're ever going to find peace is when we accept the responsibility for the sacrifice of Jesus. Mm -hmm. It makes you wonder how many times we are the reason why people are in these messes, you know, why they're not seeing Jesus, mm -hmm. why, why it would be the logical thing as these, as these mariners do to turn to God, to pray, to see that, you know, it's clear that this is the Lord, but they don't oftentimes because we are the Jonah in their life. Someone said once that the only reason darkness succeeds mm. is when the light is failing. And so if we as Christians and as a church are failing and we see the darkness in the world around us prevail, well, maybe instead of saying, what a wicked world, we ought to say, oh, maybe we're not shining very well. Quite rightly, the emphasis is placed upon you and I to go into the world, to reflect the love of God and His message of salvation, to seek and save the lost. But oftentimes, we just get in the way, the bushel instead of the candle. The fact is, Jonah is in a dark place. But as Doug said, that's where the light shines the brightest. And it's in these moments that God is actually able to reach Jonah. I don't know what your conversion story is like, but Jonah's heart was changed while he made camp inside a fish. He has a genuine experience with God. He finally surrenders to him. He prays, perhaps for the first time in a while, and God delivers him. Jonah's fearless now. He thinks, look, I've been through a fish. You know, I was inside a, a sea monster. I was getting stung by jellyfish. Who knows what happened in there? And, uh, you know, half digested. And he says, nothing could scare me now. Right. And so he is very bold. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing the disciples prayed for in the book of Acts and Paul, he says, pray that we might have boldness. Mm -hmm. And Jonah boldly marches up this Assyrian city. And he's preaching. Yeah. I don't know if he learned a few words in, in Assyrian, but he's preaching. In 40 days, they're going to be destroyed. 39 days, 38 days. And lo and behold, they're all convicted. Maybe some laughed at first, but then they're overwhelmed with conviction from the Holy Spirit. All right, even the king. Yeah. yeah and he, the king declares that the people should repent and the animals should repent. And everyone's wearing sackcloth and the animals are wearing sackcloth. And by the end of the story, there's the greatest revival in the Bible. Yep. I mean, Noah, he got just eight after 120 year evangelistic meeting. Mm -hmm. um, Jonah has a hundred percent success rate with his preaching. Yeah. He's, and he's not even willing, right. which tells us that God can preach through even an, a reluctant prophet. God can speak through a donkey. Mm -hmm. So the Lord can use everybody. No one has an excuse for not sharing. Yeah. And, um, you know, this story, um, it's interesting when you come to the end because looking back over the panorama of Jonah, you see that everybody and everything in the book listens to God. Mm. Uh, the sailors listen, yeah. the captain listens, the storm listens, the whale listens, mm. the gourd, this plant 
I haven't mentioned yet. It listens. Yeah. A worm is there. It listens. All the Ninevites. The Ninevites listen. The animals in Nineveh listens. You know, the story of Jonah, someone once said it, it's got uh, zoology in it. It's got meteorology in it. It's got anthropology <laughs> in it. It's got everything is in the story of Jonah. Everyone listens but Jonah. Because mm. at the end of the book, he's kind of regretting that God doesn't rain fire and brimstone on the Ninevites. And God says, look, you're, you're worried about your comfort in the sun. And you don't care about the city that has 120,000 people that don't know the right hand from their left. That's an ancient allusion to children who don't know the right hand. Mm-hmm. This is 120,000 children, people, cattle. Tells us that God loves the children, he loves the people, he loves mm-hmm. the animals. He says, and all you can think about Jonah is yourself. It's really saying that uh, Jonah is a type of all of us. Sometimes we're so preoccupied with our own comfort and our own convenience and our own reputations that we lose perspective of how God values mm-hmm. saving the lost. I remember years ago, uh, I was doing mission work on the Navajo reservation. I should probably back up and say when I was 16 years old, Mm -hmm. I lived on the Navajo reservation. I was not a believer. Mm -hmm. And uh, my uncle operated a trading post and I had a friend named Ken and uh, he had a good looking young man, had great prospects and he wanted to go to college and had, you know, sometimes the Navajos never get off the reservation. Mm -hmm. He really wanted to go to school and launch out. Mm. But I, I said, look, let's, I kept saying, let's get in trouble. Let's do some pot. Let's start drinking. And I taught mm-hmm. him how to make beer. Oh, wow. I, I learned how to make beer. I won't give the recipe on this <laughs> podcast, but, um, I kind of led him into doing that. So pretty soon, instead of once or twice a week, every day we were drinking, oh. well, then I left and I went and, um, was converted and 25 years later or something, I came back to do mission work, mm. uh, for La Vida Mission on the reservation. The same place. Uh, not just a little north from there, but the same area. Uh-huh. And um, one day into our mission yard, this dilapidated pickup truck came sputtering and steaming and somebody climbed out. I thought, oh, they've come from the turquoise bar. And uh, it was the real name of the place. And he came over to me and he said, I'm looking for Doug Batchelor. And I said, well, I'm Doug Batchelor. And he said, Doug, and he gave me a big smelly hug. And he said, it's Ken. Oh. And I could scarcely believe that this was that young man. I mean, he was just, you could look at him instantly and tell he was a desperate alcoholic. Wow. And, um, you know, last I heard, um, he never did recover. And I thought about that, you know, that haunted me for years. I, you know, I trusted God's forgiveness, but I, sure. it, it, it shook me to my core to realize by my recklessness, a person may have been lost eternally. The story of Jonah tells us that when Jonah surrendered to God, people were being saved. Whether it was on the boat with the sailors or preaching in Nineveh, people were being saved when he surrendered. When he ran from God, people were being lost and perishing. And that's true of every one of us. In the resurrection, we're going to see that there are a lot of people who are impacted by our influence. And that's why it's so important we listen to the word of God. Our influence will tell towards eternal salvation. He that hath an ear, let him hear. 
and you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or hearken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whytheydidthat.org. Please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Why They Did That. We're on YouTube now as well, where you can actually watch this episode instead of just listening to it. So make sure you check that out. And this show was produced by the great and marvelous Christian Freed. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. (laughs) 